everybody. Welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening, and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Well, what an honor, First Presbyterian Church, Colorado Springs, to be able to bring the message to you this weekend. You know, we've been talking about revival, and revival is such a great word. To me, it brings the words renewal and extreme change, that God does an amazing work in each of our lives. And today, I'm going to talk about, in this fourth installment of this revival series, about moving from indebted to investing. It's a major shift that has to happen for revival to take place, to move from being indebted to investing. As you know, we've been working through John chapter 17, and today's verse is verse 7. And it says, Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And our second passage of scripture is from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll look at verses 6 through 15. I'm going to read them, and then throughout this message, I'm going to refer back to specific verses. It's a great passage of scripture related to kingdom investment. In verse 6, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able. I love those four words. Man, you may be facing tremendous challenges in your life right now. It's unprecedented times. But I want to remind you right there, those four words, verse 8, and God is able, such a great reminder. God is indeed able. Amen. And God is able to do what? To bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scatter their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord, and it is such a good gift to all of us. Amen? The title for today's message is Shifting from Being Indebted to Investing. I want to start by talking about the concept of ownership. You know, most of us, we remember our first big purchase very well because in part, it's because it's the first time we ever owned anything. You know, one of the things we we think of and I I think of is my first car. Do you remember your first car? In fact, if you're gathered together with your family, 
uh, I encourage you to kind of share about your first car. What was it? Say it out loud. Give the year and the model. Yeah, it's a great car, wasn't it? You have fond memories of it, I suspect. You know, my first car was a 1981 Datsun B210. It was one of those early Japanese imports that the engine ran forever, and it ran well, and it ran forever on a thimble full of gas. But the body? Well, it sort of disintegrated around that engine. And that was the case with my car. And it was incredibly the owner of that car. However, it represented freedom. I could go places without my parents, which was amazing. But I quickly realized that ownership comes with responsibilities. I had to maintain the car. Several times I had to fix that car. It had a hole in the floorboard that I had to cover with a piece of plywood. The whole dashboard collapsed in my lap one day when I crossed a rough railroad track crossing. Uh, the, the windshield wiper stopped working. Uh, one day I realized it was wiggling like a fish when it went down the road because the rear end had literally rusted off the frame. And it caught on fire not once, but twice. You know, I had to fix the car. And insurance, as for a young boy, certainly wasn't cheap. And my parents made me and my identical twin brother pay for it. And then I was introduced to taxes when I had to purchase license plates. We're talking about ownership. Ownership has rights. It also has responsibilities. Many of you are probably thinking about the first time you purchased a home. It was a wonderful thing, wasn't it? And then you had the air conditioner unit quit working and it cost you several thousand dollars to repair it. And I know that all of us in our high school yearbooks wrote that it was our dream as adults to be spending thousands of dollars on a heat pump or central air unit. You know, what I know is that ownership is a concept that all of us understand. But when we read scripture and we truly survey the realities of life, we stumble upon the real truth. And that is this, we really don't own anything at all. That it is all from God and it is all his. And if we are to shift from being indebted to investing, we must undergo several shifts. And if we move through these shifts, I believe, First Prez, that we will begin to experience revival, true, heartfelt, spiritual revival. Revival within the city and revival that will be known throughout the nation and indeed throughout the world. You see, we've seen these messages go out far beyond the normal Colorado Springs family. By making these services available online and being able to promote them online, we've been able to see people join from around the world. And as we go through revival at First Pres, we will be able to see this be able to affect people around the globe. The first shift that I want to share today as we move from being indebted to investing is that we must shift from believing I am the owner to knowing that God is the owner. You know, our verse today in John chapter 17, verse 7, says that now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. It's all God's. And Jesus was recognizing it was all God's in the first place. He's saying God owns it all, and even the Son submitted to the Father knowing he owns it all. Psalm 24, 1 affirms this truth that God owns it all, where it says, the earth, it is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. 
We are God's chosen people. We are God's beloved creation. And he created everything that we can see, even those things that are unseen. In 1 Chronicles 29, 14, there's an amazing moment where the, the building of Solomon's temple is beginning. David had made plans to build it, but God said, your son Solomon is going to rebuild it. And so David said, I'm going to take the extraordinary step to raise the funds for it. And David led the way and he gave first. And in today's value of gold and silver, David himself gave more than $5 billion for a single church. And then his leaders gathered around him and they gave sacrificially as well. They were kingdom investors and they gave a collective nearly $6 billion. They gave over $11 billion for one church. I suspect that would build an amazing ministry today as well. And David commanded the people to praise the Lord and he was just so overwhelmed by it. And in 1 Chronicles 29, chapter 14, he says this amazing, very poetic, and it speaks to my heart. I believe it will speak to yours beautifully as well. Where he says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. You see, David got it. He knew that it was all God's in the first place. And he recognized the source of his provision. And that as they returned it back to kingdom investment, he gave God praise for the ability to give it. That is an amazing shift. That as we shift from believing that we are the owners to knowing that God is the owner. You see, the reality of life is that we are merely managers, merely stewards of God's property. You know, one day, Short of Jesus coming back during our lifetime. And even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. We will surely die. And everything we possess, yeah, it's going to go to someone else. Maybe even someone we don't like that much. We're just stewards for a little while. You know, I've made my residence in South Carolina. In fact, I'm recording this message for you from South Carolina. And one of my dreams as I grew up, uh, was to be able to own a farm. I grew up in southern Indiana, and I grew up on a farm where we raised grain. We raised corn, soybeans, and wheat. We had a few cattle and hogs and, and various fowl, ducks, chickens, and I loved it. And I wanted to be able to have that for my family. And the day came in 2010 when I was able to purchase a farm. And as I purchased this farm, I realized I was not the first human being to ever step foot on this land. There was evidence of other human beings. In fact, there was a dump located on it. Illegally, people had dumped stuff on the land. There was trash all over it. In fact, there was a small storage shed that someone had moved in and was living in. It had been logged. Somebody had clear-cut it. And my, my commitment to the Lord as He blessed me with this land was that I would try my dead-level best to be a good steward for the season that I would be able to enjoy it. And one day, as surely as I stand here recording this message, it will indeed pass on to someone else. And I want to manage that possession as well as I manage every possession God has given me in a way that honors the Creator. So my question today is, are you managing God's property well? In other words, if you're the owner of You Incorporated and you are managing your stuff the way you are right now, should you fire you?
yes or no. You know, that was a very convicting message for me one day in my life. And I had to come to the realization that God owns it all. And when I shifted from believing I was the owner to the truth that God is the owner, it changed my whole perspective. It took a lot of pressure off of me. And it helped me understand that I'm managing this for the Lord. And it has allowed me to become a much better steward of what God has placed in my hands. In fact, revival has broken out not only in my finances, but in my relationships, in my marriage, and indeed in all of my life. You see, if we want to see revival happen in our lives and in our church here at First Pres, and indeed in our finances, we have to make these shifts from indebtedness to investing. Another shift has to be made as well, and that shift is this. We must shift from what can I do for me to what can I do for others? You know, we are all human, and we veer towards selfishness. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of fear, in the midst of unknowns, in the midst of pandemics, can I get a witness? Left to ourselves, we tend to race to selfishness. You want some proof? Can you find a lot of hand sanitizer right now? Can you find a lot of toilet paper? You see, what happened is people raced out driven by fear, driven by unknown, driven by new things, the pandemic, and they hoarded these things far more than they could use in months, perhaps even years. And I would encourage you to understand this, that as God's people, we must be known not for hoarding, but for sharing. You want to see revival break out? We got to be known not for selfishness, but for selflessness, not for taking but for generosity. Can I get a witness today? In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, I read this to you, and I want to revisit it more closely, where it says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will get everything you want. No, that's not what it says, does it? You see, we have to shift from what is in it for me, what can I do for me, to what can I do for others. That's when revival breaks out, my friend. That is when we see the Holy Spirit of God move in our lives and enable us to transform the community. Not from what we are doing, but because the power of the Lord working in us and through us in such a way that, watch this, we will abound in every good work. God blesses us, not for, just for us, but so that we will have all things at all times, all that we need so that we will abound in every good work. God provides for us so that we can bless others, so that we can indeed bless the least of these. Put another way, we have to shift from being takers to givers. And I want to be clear today, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about all of our lives with our time. Is all of our time spent on us and getting more for us? Or are we indeed using our time poured out for others as well? It's important to be able to use our time productively to provide for our families, to move ahead, to live productive lives, but not at the cost of never having time for others and for the least of these. It is indeed to use our talent, to be able to use our talents, not only for us, but to bless others. And of course, it does apply to our treasure as well, our finances. 
In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, it says, You will be enriched in every way, not just financially, but with relationships, but with connections, with connections that you look back and say, I don't know how this happens. I should not be in this room. I should not be meeting with this person. But because of God's sovereign grace upon you, God made the connection and allows you to be able to serve others in ways you never thought possible. I've had it happen for me. I know you've seen it happen for you. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be what? Say it with me. Say that word. Generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I want you to see that very clearly. What is he really saying? You could say it another way. That through us, your generosity will result in revival. Do you see it? It points other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Generosity, it absolutely is compelling. And it points other people to God. You know, it's during extraordinary times like this that the church is most beautiful. As Pastor Tim has shared so many times during this series, crisis, it leads people to Christ. And it's a wonderful thing that we see as life has shifted, as the community has shifted, as normal has been upended. It has caused people's foundations to be shook, and they recognize that the only foundation that is sure, the only one that is solid, is Christ. The only one that is the same yesterday, today, and forever is indeed our Lord. We must shift. And as we do, we will experience unbelievable revival. You know, the third thing that I wanted to share is the words that I titled this message. And that is we must shift from being indebted to investing. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Let's say it once again where we get to say the words, I'm going to say what happens when we sow. I want you to say what happens when we reap. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap what? Say it with me. Sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Let me ask you another question. What happens if one sows nothing? You know, nothing is an interesting word. It's a compound word of no thing. What happens if we sow no thing? You know, when one operates as an owner, the focus is on oneself. When you operate as a manager, you focus on pleasing the owner. We, we know who the owner is. It's God. And it allows us to have this perspective that everything that has been placed in our hands is there so that we can point people to Christ. That as we manage what God has placed in our hands, as we steward it well, there is a renewal that takes place. That's what revival is. It's a renewal of our faith, a renewal of our fervor for the Lord, a renewal of our fervor to share what God has done in our life with others. And many people focused on this self-focused living they get loaded up with debt and they are facing untold major challenges with their finances in this unprecedented time. Hey, and maybe this is you today. You never saw this pandemic coming. And as a result, you're facing very uncertain times financially. I want you to know that I understand your challenges. And First Prez is committed to helping you navigate this stuff in a God-honoring way. 
My own journey with debt is, is, is it would be a best-selling story. In fact, it has become a best-selling uh, story actually through my book, I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. Let me tell you my story of my debt journey. You know, I went to Purdue University. I'm the youngest of six boys, but I'm the first to go to college. I went to college and I quickly started dating someone named Sally May. Yeah, some of you know Sally May. Sally May Student Loan Company. I financed all my college education. My first weekend there, I even signed up for, for, for credit cards just to get some free stuff. And I filled out all the applications and got my free stuff. I got a free two liter of Coca-Cola. I got a free t-shirt from AT&T that advertised their long distance service. That used to be a thing. Some of us watching today got in trouble uh, for talking too long on long distance. I'm sure of it. And I got a duffel bag from American Express. And I admitted on paper that I had no income and no job and that I was a student. And yet a week later, a credit card showed up in my mailbox. And the next day, because I was focused on me and I did not know what God's word really said about management of money, I started swiping that credit card and I ran up more debt. I graduated in four years with a degree in mechanical engineering from Purdue, and it was a wonderful day. And some people graduated with special honors. They had gold cords on, some graduated magna cum laude, some graduated summa cum laude. I graduated with lesser known honors called thank the laude. And I got out of there with my 2.64 GPA. And I graduated, but I didn't graduate from my debt. And I continued to pursue what I wanted to pursue. And so as soon as I graduated, I went out to purchase a different car. You might agree with me that that Datsun B210 was on its last legs, and it was. But I went and bought a new car. I even financed the sales tax, 105% financing for a new car. And then I asked my college sweetheart to marry me. She said, yes, I financed the engagement ring, the wedding ring, the wedding, and the honeymoon to Jamaica. And I came home to a whole lot of credit card debt. And then we wanted a house, and so we bought a house, and then we wanted furniture, and we bought it 24 months, same as cash, and then I wanted a truck, so I bought it 100% financing. There's not a person watching this message today where you're saying, man, I perceive this speaker to be a financial genius. In fact, you might be saying, Lord, bless his heart. But here's what I want you to know. All of that debt happened was because I was pursuing what? I wanted what Joe Sangle wanted. I was not seeking the Lord before making any of these decisions, and I was focused on what I wanted, and debt allowed me to get it far before I could afford it. And in the midst of my great financial challenges, I was drowning in debt. I wanted to give, I wanted to save, I wanted to invest, but they were seemingly impossible. And I really felt like I knew the answer to the problem. You probably tried this before if you've ever been in that situation. You see, I felt like it was God was the problem that he needed to bless me with more. As I look back now, I almost laugh to keep from crying that I actually believe that. You see, in the midst of my great financial challenges, I finally made a good decision. I finally started reading the greatest money book ever written, and that is God's holy word. And I discovered it had a lot to say about money. Did you know God's word talks more about money than it does the topics of love, hope, and prayer combined? And as we look in the gospels, we see that of the parables that Jesus shared, 
Of the 38 that are documented in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of those 38, 17, nearly half, Jesus used money or possessions to illustrate the point. You see, as I started seeing God's word, it said that I should be a giver of the tithe to the storehouse. Not a tipper, not a tester, not what I had left over, not the leftovers, but the tithe to the storehouse. And the root of that word is actually the temple or the church. And that I should also give to the least of these. Malachi 3.10 said it clearly. It said a command and then a promise. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And the Lord says four great words. Test me in this. It's the only place in God's word where he says, test me. And it's with bringing the tithe. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the promise. And see if I not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there not be room enough to store it. If you want to see revival break out in your life, I dare you to test the Lord through giving and placing him first, not tipping, not just a little bit, not the leftovers, but with the first fruits and the whole tithe. The word tithe, literally t- interpreted, is one-tenth of a whole part, the first 10%. And then as I read the word, I saw that it said I should save money. Proverbs 21.20 said, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. You see, it is all God's, and He wanted us to store up because He knew that famines would happen. He knew that pandemics would happen. He knew that life would happen, and it would be able to have margin in our lives because it was wise. We want to be wise with money. It will lead to revival. Watch this. It said I should give. It said I should save. And it said I should become an investor. That I should move from indebtedness to becoming an investor. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. And as we gather money little by little, God puts his hand upon it and begins to make it grow. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? We've seen it with our financial investments. Many of us have invested And while we've seen in the short term the markets have went down and praise God it's recovered some, we've also seen through the years that God is true to his word, that when we gather money little by little, and as we save and as we place him first, God indeed shows up with the overflow blessing and allows us to become outrageously generous givers. It says we should give, we should save, and we should invest. And it also says I should plan the rest. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, money left over, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So church, if we want to see revival break out, we must break the back of greed and model generosity. If we ever hope to see God move in mighty ways in our lifetime, in our generation, and through our church, we must demonstrate our belief that He is indeed our great provider our Jehovah Jireh, by making kingdom investments. So look at your life. Would the word giver, would the word generous, would the word I put God first, if you were put before a jury of your peers, would you be convicted? Which means having been found guilty of living a generous life. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I believe this is true for you. See if this is true for you that we want to be known as givers. How about you? You see, in my life, I want to be known as a saver. How about you? 
I want to be known as an investor. How about you? And I want my generosity. Yeah, I want it to point people to God. How about you? You see, when we make kingdom investments, it points people to Christ. Revival will break out. Verses 11 and 12 and 13 of 2 Corinthians 9 says, You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expression of thanks to God. It's a way we can thank God. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them within everyone else. Sounds like a surefire way to set spark to revival fires. You know, in normal times, generosity is inspiring. In unprecedented times, generosity becomes wildly extraordinary, and it compels people to praise God and results in thanksgiving to Him. I want to finish today's message by sharing a story, a true story that I feel reflects the heart of generosity that God wants us all to have, a kingdom investment mentality. This is a story called The Rich Family in Church, written by a lady named Eddie Ogan. Here's the story. I'll never forget Easter 1946. I was 14, my little sister O.C. was 12, and my older sister Darlene 16. We lived at home with our mother, and the four of us knew what it was to do without many things. My dad had died five years before, leaving mom with seven school kids to raise and no money. By 1946, my older sisters were married, and my brothers had left home. And a month before Easter, the pastor of our church announced that a special Easter offering would be taken to help a poor family, the least of these. He asked everyone to save and give sacrificially. Well, when we got home, we talked about what we could do. We decided to buy 50 pounds of potatoes and live on them for a month. This allows us to save $20 of our grocery money for the offering. When we thought that if we kept our electric lights turned out as much as possible and didn't listen to the radio, we'd save money on that month's electric bill. Darlene got as many house and yard cleaning jobs as possible, and both of us babysat for everyone we could. For 15 cents, we could buy enough cotton loops to make three pot holders to sell for a buck. We made $20 on potholders. That month was one of the best of our lives. Every day we counted the money to see how much we had saved. At night we'd sit in the dark and talk about how that poor family is going to enjoy having the money the church would give them. We had about 80 people in our church, so we figured that whatever amount of money we had to give, the offering would be surely 20 times that much. After all, every Sunday the pastor reminded everyone to save for the sacrificial offering. The day before Easter, O.C. and I walked to the grocery store and got the manager to give us three crisp $20 bills and one $10 bill for all our change. We ran all the way to home to show Mom and Darlene we had never had so much money before. That night, we were so excited we could hardly sleep. We didn't care that we didn't have new clothes for Easter. We had 70 bucks for the sacrificial offering. We could hardly wait to get to church. On Sunday morning, rain was pouring. We didn't own an umbrella, and the church was over a mile from our home. But it didn't seem to matter how wet we got. Darlene had cardboard in her shoes to fill the holes. The cardboard came apart and her feet got wet, but we sat in church proudly. I heard some teenagers talking about the Smith girls having on their old dresses. I looked in their, in their new clothes and I felt rich. When the sacrificial offering was taken, we were sitting on the second row from the front. Mom put in the $10 bill and each of us kids put in a 20. As we walked home after church, we sang all the way. At lunch, Mom had a surprise for us. She had bought a dozen eggs and we had boiled Easter eggs with our fried potatoes. Late that afternoon, the minister drove up in his car. Mom went to the door, talked with him for a moment, and then came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked what it was, but she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope, and out fell a bunch of money. There are three crisp $20 bills, 
one ten and seventeen one dollar bills. Mom put the money back in the envelope. We didn't talk. We just sat and stared at the floor. We had gone from feeling like millionaires to feeling like poor white trash. We kids had such a happy life that we felt sorry for anyone who didn't have our mom and dad for parents in a house full of brothers and sisters and our kids visiting constantly. We thought it was fun to share silverware and see whether we got the spoon or the fork that night. We had two knives that we passed around to whoever needed them. I know we didn't have a lot of things that other people had, but I'd never thought we were poor. But that Easter Sunday, I found out we were. The minister had brought the money for the poor family, so we must be poor. I didn't like being poor. I looked at my dress and worn out shoes and felt so ashamed I didn't even want to go back to church. Everyone there probably thought we and knew we were poor. I thought about school. I was in the ninth grade at the top of my class of over 100 students. I wonder if the kids at school knew that we were poor. I decided I could quit school since I had finished the eighth grade. That was all the law required at the time. We sat in silence for a long time. Then it got dark and we went to bed. All that week, we girls went to school and came home and no one talked much. Finally, on Saturday, Mom asked us what we wanted to do with the money. What did poor people do with money? We didn't know. We had never known we were poor. We didn't want to go to church on Sunday, but Mom said we had to. Although it was a sunny day, we didn't talk on the way. Mom started to sing, but no one joined in, and she only sang one verse. At church, we had a missionary. He talked about how churches in Africa made buildings out of sun-dried bricks, but they needed money to buy roofs. He said $100 to put a roof on a church. And the minister said, can't we all sacrifice to help these poor people? We looked at each other and smiled for the first time in a week. Mom reached into her purse and pulled out the envelope. She passed it to Darlene. Darlene gave it to me, and I handed it to O.C., and O.C. put it in the offering. And when the offering was counted, the minister announced it was a little over $100. The missionary was so excited. He hadn't expected such a large offering from our small church. He said, you must have some rich people in this church. And suddenly it struck us. We had given $87 of that little over 100 bucks. We were the rich family in that church. Hadn't the missionary said so? And from that day on, I've never been poor again. I've always remembered how rich I am because I have Jesus. You know what? It reminds me of a saying. You do not have to be wealthy to be generous. You just have to be generous to be generous. First press, let's see what happens when we move from indebted to investors and prioritize kingdom investment. And just you wait. We will see revival break out. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this amazing, incredible, historic church. God, I thank you for a time where you have turned normal up on its head. That our world is upside down and things are uncomfortable and unusual. But God, we know this, that when things are comfort, uh, things don't change much. But when things are uncomfortable, we get to see change and I feel the winds of change blowing. Lord, may you compel us to move from being indebted to becoming investors in your kingdom work. And God, when we do so, may you find the, the opportunity within all of us for us to be able to serve the least of these and God, we pray desperately for revival to break out in our hearts first, our family second, and then into our communities. God, we know you will do it. And it's in your name that we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless each of you. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.